Good morning and welcome to Podiatrics Medical Podcasts. Today is a topic many people are challenged by and I thought I'd take the opportunity today to hopefully simplify it. Comes up in exams all the time and this is the topic of renal tubular acidosis. So what I'm going to begin the podcast by doing is saying, well, what do we mean by renal tubular acidosis? So the renal bit, kidney or kidneys, the tubular bit, meaning it can affect your distal tubule, your proximal tubule, or actually can be much later on, kind of around about your collecting ducts. So, and the acidosis bit referring to in most of the cases being a blood pH that is high. However, we will discuss that actually in two of the three cases that we're going to talk about, your urinary pH will be acidotic as well. So very simple terms, what we mean by an acidosis is a pH that is lower than our normal reference value. So under normal physiological circumstances, your acid excretion is equal to your acid production. So you will produce acid as a byproduct of chemical reactions in your body and your kidneys will remove this acid. And if these two things are balanced, you will not have an acidosis. The problem exists in renal tuber acidosis when certain mechanisms don't work normally and you end up accumulating acid. So why would we both? So we'll approach the case of someone that has got a metabolic acidosis, has had a blood gas done and has a metabolic acidosis. So normally characterised by a low serum um, bicarbonate and an elevated amount of acid dropping the pH. So you're looking at a pH that is low and a bicarbonate value that is low. Whenever you see a patient with uh, an acidosis, it's worth looking at the anion gap. And there is a short podcast illustrating this point. So the original equation for the anion gap that we used to use was sodium plus potassium minus chloride plus bicarbonate. Because your normal sodium is about 135 and your normal potassium is three or four usually, um, it's quite negligible the amount of potassium. So some people omit it from the equation. If this equation, the anion gap, were to be less than 12, we would probably say you have no anion gap. So this would be someone with a non-anion gap metabolic acidosis called NAGMA. If you had a raised anion gap metabolic acidosis, you wouldn't say this is a renal tubular acidosis. You'd reel off in an exam your causes of a raised anion gap metabolic acidosis. Things like isonazid, 
lactic acidosis, ethanol, salicylates, um, methanol, diabetic ketoacidosis. It is worth familiarising yourself with mud piles. Um, some people add other things into it, but I would first up with um, mud piles. Methanol, uremia, diabetic ketoacidosis. Some people add alcohol in with that one. Uh, P for paracetamol. I for inborn errors of metabolism and isonazid. L for lactic acidosis. L uh, is lactic acidosis. E is ethanol or ethylene glycol. And S is salicylates, for example, aspirin. So they are your causes of high anion gap metabolic acidosis. The first key point I want to make today is that renal tubular acidosis is a cause of a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis. So large anion gap, think mud piles. Normal anion gap, think renal tubular acidosis, but also think more common things like diarrhea and vomiting. Think also Addison's disease and think maybe of fistulas, for example, pancreatic fistula and pancreatic juice uh, wasting that can that can cause this non-anion gap metabolic acidosis or normal anion gap metabolic acidosis, NAGMA. So key things that we talked about already, if the pH on the gas is low in an exam, calculate the anion gap. If the anion gap is raised, work through mud piles as your initial list of differentials. If it's a non-anion gap metabolic acidosis, consider renal tubular acidosis. The question is, are they unwell? If the answer to that is yes, down our flow chart, are they unwell? Yes, can definitely consider renal tubular acidosis. If they're unwell, no, I consider other causes more likely than a renal tubular acidosis because they should be sick, very sick. So the key things that we need to talk about is renal tubular acidosis as a title heading. There's a few different types. I'm going to dispel a few of the confusions. So you have basically got type 1, type 2, type 3 and type 4. Type 3 for the purposes of exams, ignore it. Ignore type 3. It's a mix of type 1 and type 2. So very difficult to examine. So focus on knowing type 1, type 2 and type 4. And use this very, very easy mnemonic to remember them. Okay, we'll go through each of them in more detail, but I'm going to illustrate them. Okay, so type one is a problem with one letter and that letter is H. Type one is a problem with H, hydrogen. Okay, one comes before two and D comes before P. So type one renal tuber acidosis is a problem with hydrogen ions and is distal because D comes before P. Type 1, one letter, H, hydrogen. 1 comes before 2 and D comes before P in the alphabet. So this is distal. So type 1 renal tubular acidosis is a distal tubular problem and it's a problem with hydrogen ion secretion. Type 1. Type 2 is we have got H, but we've also got two more letters, C, O. 
okay? CO3, isn't it, for bicarbonate. So type two, we've got two more letters, C, O, okay? Three minus bicarbonate. Two comes after one and P comes after D. So this is proximal tubule, okay? So type two is a proximal tubular problem. And this is due to decrease in absorption of bicarbonate. So type one, one letter, hydrogen. One comes before two, okay? So this is type one. D comes before P. So this is distal tubule for type one. For type two, we're adding two more letters into the mix. CO, three minus. Two comes after one and P comes after D. So this is proximal tubule, okay? Type one, distal. Type two, proximal, okay? Type four, the number four looks very similar to a capital letter A. So remember your A's for type four. Aldosterone, this is due to aldosterone deficiency or aldosterone resistance. And A, because ammonium secretion is affected okay ammonium is is affected as well and if you ever wanted to remember nh4 plus has a four in it as well to remind you that this is a type four problem so what i prefer to do is with that mnemonic and you're equipped with it i prefer to go into now i remember and then i try and add a bit of detail on so what we've done so far is we've said that renal tuber acidosis type one, one letter, hydrogen, wasn't it? Okay. H comes before P in the alphabet. So type one is a problem of hydrogen ions. Okay. And this is, what, is it distal or proximal? What did we say? Did we say it's distal or proximal? Good. Distal because... D comes before P in the alphabet. So type 1 renal tuber acidosis is a problem with hydrogen ion secretion and it affects the distal tubule. What are the important things we need to be aware of? Well, one thing that we very much need to be aware of is these patients will have a urine pH that is high, that is above 5.5. We'll talk about the reasons why later. Type 2 is this is a problem in bicarbonate reabsorption. Remember, CO3, bicarbonate, adds two more letters into the mix. So this is type 2. And remember that P comes before D in the alphabet. So this is proximal. So type 1, distal. Type 2, proximal. Type 4, 4 looks like a capital letter A. So you get problems with ammonium. And you get problems with aldosterone deficiency slash resistance. So what we're going to do now is we are going to talk about a few things. So I am going to start with, okay, I'm going to start with type one, okay, type one. So type one was, we were saying, distal because D comes before P in the alphabet. And we said H, one letter for type one. So it's a problem with hydrogen ion 
secretion. So what is the giveaway in exams about type 1? Well, if you can't secrete hydrogen ions, these patients have an inability to lower their urinary pH in the presence of acidosis. What's the giveaway for type 1? Urinary pH is high. Urinary pH is high. It's the giveaway for this one, for type 1. Urinary pH is high because you can't secrete hydrogen ions. So the urinary pH remains high because you haven't got the hydrogen ions in the urine to drop the urinary pH. Type 1 giveaway, a high urinary pH. Okay, for your type 1. Why is this important? Because we know that the main function of your distal nephron, okay, is acid-base homeostasis. This is the giveaway in exams. So we need to excrete acid generated from your diet, okay? So you eat food, you then have acid in your body that needs to be, get out of your body, okay? To regulate your acid-base balance. If you get acid from the food that you eat, what happens to it? Well, in this case, we haven't got hydrogen ion secretion. So the urinary pH remains high, remains not acidic. Okay, so this is the giveaway for renal tuber acidosis type 1. Because the main function of the distal nephron, okay, is to acidify your urine, okay, to get rid of acid. So that's very important to think about it, okay? So there's a number of things that we need to be very honest about here, okay? Because of this problem with acid, what does your body do? Well, actually, your bicarbonate buffers go into overdrive. They think, oh, my goodness, hang on a minute. Your your urine is not acidic. Your urinary pH is very high. Um, what do we need to do? Well, we're going to try and buffer, 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 buffer. We're going to try and drop this blood pH. Um, so we're going to try and increase this blood pH and make it less acidic. When your bicarbonate is exhausted, then what we do next is we actually use your hydroxyapatate from your bones. So hydroxyapatate is a buffer that can be used when your bicarbonate is depleted. So we then use that. Problem is, when we use hydroxyapatate, that has a negative effect on our bones. So all of that lovely, amazing calcium goes into your urine, okay? And you can get renal stones. Again, another giveaway for type 1. Nephrocalcinosis, think type 1, okay? So there are quite a few causes of type 1 while we kind of wrap up the important bits for type 1. So you can get it in Sjogren's syndrome, okay? You can get it in lupus, 
and you can um, get it in other things. Um, you can get it with certain medications, for example, um, amphotericin B and lithium can cause it as well. So that's type 1 taken care of. So to recap, type 1 is a problem with hydrogen ion secretion. It's distal because remember D comes before P in the alphabet. It will give you a urinary pH that is high because the main thing that you need to be aware of in type 1 is that you can't acidify your urine properly. And remember, as with all types of renal tubal acidosis, the anion gap. Okay, you will get a urine anion gap. Fine. So um, that's the important thing. So you won't get, um, you'll tend not to get an anion gap in the blood, but you can get an anion gap in the urine. Okay. Fine. So that's that taken care of. So we've done type one. If everyone's happy with type one, we'll move on to type two. So we said, what is the hallmark for type two? Well, this is a proximal problem because P comes before D in the alphabet. And remember, we added two more letters in, in type two, which is C and O, stands for bicarbonate. So in type two, we have problems with bicarbonate reabsor reabsorption. Okay, The main thing here is that we've got a defect in bicarbonate reabsorption, okay? We've got a defect in bicarbonate reabsorption, okay? So these patients, the big thing is they've got a lowered threshold for reabsorption of bicarbonate, okay? Um, these patients with type 2 require large amounts of bicarbonate per day, okay? And what this has the effect of doing in these patients is that the bicarbonate will increase the urinary pH that would ordinarily okay, um, be low, certainly in established disease, would be less than 5.5. So bicarbonate would increase your urinary pH and lead to increased excretion, which is good. Okay, so remember as well, because this is a proximal defect, your distal um, acid secretion is intact because this isn't a type 1 problem. Type 1 is a problem with distal hydrogen ion secretion, but you have intact hydrogen ion secretion in type 2. So you can actually, the urine pH can drop to less than 5.5 or even 5 because your acid secretion is in check. So you get normal calcium excretion because you don't use the hydroxyapatite as a bicarbonate buffer. Um, so why is it important to know about these two? These are the two that people will narrow it down to the exam. So you need to be able to choose between them. So a really good way of looking at the difference between these two, in my opinion, is to look at have they got kidney stones? Okay, which is an important bit. Have they got kidney stones? And what is the urinary pH? If the urinary pH is greater than 5.5, okay, remember both of these can have a urinary pH that's above 5.5 initially, okay? In established disease, your urinary pH in renal tubular acidosis type 1 will be above 5.5 in established disease. And renal tubular acidosis type 2, if you're providing you're giving them a sufficient amount of bicarb, 
will be less than 5.5. So if the urinary pH is more than 5.5 and they've got renal stones, renal tubular acidosis type 1. Renal tubular acidosis type 2 can happen in a few different things. I want you to remember three symptoms. Polyuria, polydipsia and growth failure. And it can occur as part of your Fanconi syndrome. You can have cystinosis and it can happen in acute tubular necrosis. Okay, so polyuria, polydipsia and growth failure. Okay, no renal stones because calcium excretion is normal. And the urinary pH will be less than 5.5 in established disease um, because you've still got the distal hydrogenine secretion. So that is type 1 and type 2. Let's quickly finish up with type number 4. So type number 4 I said is the easy one. So it's a capital letter A and it's a problem with aldosterone and it's a problem with ammonium. So what is it? So it is a problem with aldosterone deficiency or aldosterone resistance. So it's basically a term that is very generally applied to all forms of renal tuber acidosis where your potassium's high. So in an exam question, if they've got a renal tuber acidosis, okay, and the potassium level is high, then you need to look about saying this is type 4, okay? Potassium's high, type 4 renal tuber acidosis. Why do these patients have a urine pH less than 5.5? Why do these patients have problems with acidoses? Okay, well, remember aldosterone causes sodium to be absorbed and potassium to be excreted into the lumen by those principal cells. In alpha intercalated cells, which are in your right at the last bit of your distal tubule and in your collecting duct, hydrogen and potassium ions are exchanged. Okay, Hydrogen is excreted into the lumen and potassium is absorbed. So this mechanism with aldosterone prevents the body from losing too much potassium, okay? If you lose too much potassium, you cause a relative depletion of hydrogen ions in the blood, causing an alkalotic state, okay? So aldosterone is really, really important from that perspective. What you find here is aldosterone has a direct effect on the alpha intercalated cells to promote um, proton secretion. Okay, the acidosis in type 4 tends to be not as severe as other things. And remember, if aldosterone causes proton secretion, hydrogen ion secretion, if you've got aldosterone resistance or aldosterone deficiency, that explains why you get acidoses because you get problems with proton secretion. The hyperkalemia bit is the most threatening bit and the worst bit here um, because it can kill people. So the most common cause of aldosterone deficiency, you will have been aware of it in other podcasts, is congenital adrenal hyperplasia. And that is your aldosterone deficiency. 
and the most common cause of aldosterone resistance are defects and mutations in the epithelial sodium channel, the ENAC, and that will result in type 4 renal tuber acidosis. Um, there's not too much written on the causes about what can cause it. Um, you, if you ever need to remember what kind of, why you would get hyperkalemia in renal tuber acidosis type 4, that can be as a result of urinary tract obstruction. Um, you can get a similar thing with trimethoprim and medication induced as well. But the main thing to remember for renal tuber acidosis type 4 is why does spironolactone give you a hypotassium? Ask yourself that question. Why does spironolactone give you a hypotassium? Because it's an aldosterone antagonist. So it's going to mimic aldosterone deficiency or aldosterone resistance, isn't it? Aldosterone antagonism. So why does spironolactone give you a hypotassium? We'll explain in this case why a renal tubular acidosis type 4 will give you a high aldosterone level. So to recap, type 1 is a problem with distal hydrogen ion secretion. Okay, distal hydrogen ion secretion. It will give you a urine pH above 5.5 because you lose your normal acidification hydrogen ion secretion mechanisms in the distal tubule. It is associated with things like Sjogren's syndrome and lupus and sometimes urinary obstruction. And remember, you can get kidney stones in type 1. D comes before P, so type 1 is a distal problem, whereas type 2 is proximal. Talking about type 2, so type 2 is a problem with your proximal convoluted tubule. Your urine pH in established disease will be less than 5.5. It can be associated with Fanconi syndrome, cystinosis and acute tubular necrosis. Type 3, ignored. Type 4, looks like a capital letter A. Looks like a capital letter A. So you get problems with ammonium, but predominantly aldosterone, aldosterone deficiency or aldosterone resistance. And this will lead to hyperkalemia and a urine pH less than 5.5 because your hydrogen ion secretion mechanisms in the distal nephron are unaffected, so you can acidify your urine normally. If you ever need to remember what can cause it or associations, think of spironolactone and the effect of spironolactone on um, your serum potassium levels. So, if a child was on amphotericin B, and developed some renal stones, and they had non-anion gap metabolic acidosis, what would the most likely cause be? Type 1, type 2, or type 4? A child on amphotericin B developed kidney stones, and they had a non-anion ga gap, a NAGMA, a non-anion gap metabolic acidosis, what's the most likely cause? We said type 1 is associated with renal stones. Type 1 is a distal defect uh, with hydrogen ion secretion so and is associated with amphotericin B. So this is renal tuber acidosis type 1. Which type of renal tuber acidosis 
is associated with Fanconi syndrome. Which type of renal tuberacidosis is associated with Fanconi syndrome? Great, okay. Renal tuberacidosis type two. So if a child, see who is listening to the three symptoms I told you to look out for. If a child had polyuria, polydipsia and growth failure, they had a non-anionic gap metabolic acidosis, they had hypokalemia, hypophosphatemia, proteinuria and glucosuria, what would the diagnosis be? So see who's been um, revising and looking at my proximal convoluted tubule podcast. That would be Fanconi syndrome, which is associated with, as we've just said, renal tuberacidosis type 2. What type of renal tuberacidosis is associated with hyperkalemia? For our final question of today, what type of renal tuberacidosis is associated with hyperkalemia? Fantastic. Very happy with this renal tuberacidosis type 4. So in conclusion, we've talked about what a renal tuberacidosis is. We talked about type 1, talked about type 2, and we talked about type 4. I hope this has been really useful. And just to recap one more time, just before we get to the half an hour mark, type 1, distal hydrogen ion secretion defect that explains why the urine pH is high rather than low because you've got a problem with getting those hydrogen ions into the urine. Type 2, P comes after D in the alphabet, so it's a proximal. Two more letters, CO for CO3 minus bicarbonate. This is a problem with bicarbonate reabsorption. So in established diseases, urine pH is less than 5.5. It's associated with Fanconi syndrome. Type 4. 4 looks like a capital letter A. This is a problem with aldosterone. You're looking at hyperkalemia in this one. Thank you very much for listening. Yay!